Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. When you do have a lot of things that you're working on, I think the first priority should be to figure out what shouldn't you work on? It's because ultimately that's what followership is based on. People follow people based on two things, based on the interactions you have and the decisions you make. And those two things are really the two primary motivators that will dictate whether or not somebody wants to follow you. And if, if they follow you and they believe in you as a leader, then it's likely because you've had really positive, healthy interactions and you've made solid decisions that they could count on. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 62. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Billy Samoa Salibi. Billy is an entrepreneur, podcast host, and award-winning filmmaker. He has led learning and development organizations for some of the most disruptive companies in the world, including Tesla, where he was the head of global sales and product training. He's currently CEO and co-founder co-founder of Podify, a podcast agency that provides production and promotion services to companies and individuals who want to create a podcast. He's also president and founder of Insight Media, a Los Angeles-based production company that specializes in podcasting and digital media. In addition to being the host of For the Love of Podcast, a podcast about podcasting, he's also in uh, the host of the podcast Inside Out, where he interviews best-selling authors, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders to uncover powerful insights, reveal why they make an impact, and explain exactly how they can be applied. Billy, thanks so much for being on the show with me today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Excited to have our conversation. Oh, yes. And I hope I really didn't butcher that too much. That was such a mouthful. Um, all good stuff. I mean, there's just a tremendous amount here. And really, it's an honor and a privilege, not only <clears throat> because you personify the leadership um, personality that I love to bring on this show, but you're also a podcaster. So you can mm -hmm. relate to the conversation on a variety of levels. And um, I'm just like, as I'm reading this, I'm just overwhelmed by the idea of running two companies and having two podcasts. So how do you make the time? You know, to me, productivity is such a central part of what I talk about, what I work with my clients on. How do you find the time to make all of this happen and still talk to people like me? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a valid question. Sometimes I pinch myself and say, how am I doing this all? What it comes down to is you got to get help. Uh, and so I have an editor that I work with, with my podcast and then for my business, Potify, I have a partner. So I'm actually, believe it or not, I'm actually starting another company, which I can't yet announce, but, uh, I have a partner for that company. And so I think going it alone is really, it, it can be done, but even I would say any solopreneur out there is not really a solopreneur if they are investing in other people supporting them. And I, I do think that there is great value in identifying what your superpower, your super human strength is, whatever that may be. And so for anyone listening, I think the thing that I realize and recognize that I could do a lot of the things, perhaps I want to do a lot of the things, but the reality is I shouldn't do everything. And so what I've been working on throughout, throughout this year is to identify the things that maybe I'm not 
meant to be doing. So they could be things like editing my videos. It could be things like writing certain pieces of content for my website. It could be, as I mentioned, the editing of my podcast. All of these things take time. And so I have to outsource a lot of that work. But before I outsource it, I got to figure out, is this necessary? Do I have to do it? So optimizing and understanding what my workflow should be and creating systems and standing operating procedures and methodology around everything that I do. So I'll give you an example. For a long time, I was not posting on YouTube because I just didn't have the time or I wasn't taking some of the content that I had written for LinkedIn and I wasn't putting it on my own blog. So I said, why am I not doing that? That's just a waste. So I hired a virtual assistant and I, I made a video and I said, here's what I want you to do. I outlined exactly what I wanted him to do. And I said, this is what I need. How long do you think it'll take? And he said this, this amount of time and he did it. And so all of a sudden I have all the videos that I've shot throughout the year, all the things that I've written on LinkedIn. These are pieces of content that could live in other places. And so those are just a few of the examples, but I mean, to your point, you know, when you do have a lot of things that you're working on, I think the first priority should be to figure out what shouldn't you work on. Okay. Well, that's, that was an incredible answer. And actually it ties in beautifully. I have the, on my website, um, a productivity blueprint. And in that blueprint, I've got five steps. And the first step is where you're, where you're really operating right now, Billy, in the sense of it's all about the planning. It's understanding what are my most important tasks? What are the things that I'm uniquely, let's call it gifted or um, positioned to do and the things I need to be doing for myself? And where can I delegate? You know, where can I find somebody else to do that work for me? And you're really right, I think, that in today's environment, I found this out over time as I started to become more successful, as I started to expand my budget, as I started to think differently about what work I should be doing and what work I should be outsourcing. There's a lot of really good talent out there that just needs to be tapped into and then directed. And if you can find those people... Oftentimes they don't live down the block from you. They might be in a different time zone. They might be halfway across the world, but they're out there. And if you find the right people that could help you leverage what you do best and let them do everything else. So as we're speaking, I've got somebody building a funnel for me. I have somebody working on graphics for me, somebody helping me with my social media content, posting and scheduling and all those kinds of things. And I've got somebody else creating other resources for me all so that I can do my coaching work right? And really build out some of my core offerings. And, and that's, I feel the way all of us really need to be thinking in order to be successful. It's just, mm-hmm. I, I think it allows us to amplify that way. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think, you know, any, almost anything you look back on that is remarkable, whether that be a company like an Apple or a Tesla or the invention of the light bulb, like it wasn't just Thomas Edison, right? It wasn't just Steve Jobs. It wasn't just Elon Musk. They didn't do it alone. And I think a lot of times people get into this mindset as a new entrepreneur or new business owner that they have to do everything. They have to wear all the hats. And there's probably somebody that's actually better suited, who would do a better job, who would do it faster. And to your point, I mean, there are talented people across the globe who are ready and ripe to do these, these assignments. And what's beautiful about it is if you invest the time on the front end to find those people, because the key is to find those people, right? You're not, yes. not everyone's great because you're going to get some people that say they could do it. And then they're not, they're not great at it. So it does take a bit of an investment on the front end, but I'm a big believer in investing on the front end 
so that you can then reap the benefits long term. And the other thing I'll say real quickly is elimination. I mean, there are times when things don't need to be done. And so don't outsource something that frankly doesn't need to get done. And that's, I think phase one is like identifying like what is truly a priority versus what maybe isn't as important. Yeah. And I think that that other point you made is, is it's so germane to me right now, because just that piece I mentioned before about the social media management and all, I cannot tell you how many people I invited to my post, you know, just to have the conversation and then actually interviewed until I found somebody who I think really gets it mm-hmm. and really understands my needs. Now the, the, the proof will be in the pudding, you know, it's still early in that process, but I do believe that I found somebody who's really solid and it will take time and it can be frustrating, but think about, and, and by the way, delegation is always that way. So even if you have somebody in-house that you trust or not, or, or somebody you've been working with for a while, but you're giving them something new or something different, and it requires an expansion of their skill set or just a refinement of what they're doing, they're going to need some handholding. They're going to need some direction before they get it right. Mm-hmm. And investing in that can be frustrating because you, you want to do your work. But if you see it as a way by which to leverage your time in the big picture so that you could do the, the more important things over time, and you know that for the most part, this, whether it's editing a podcast or uploading content or whatever the task might be, you can know that when you get this person in the right place, they'll just roll with it for the rest of the time. That's a really comforting place to be. And, uh, and I think that that's you know, an aspiration, if I could say so, uh, for everybody who's listening, specifically if you're short-staffed and you need more help. 100% agree with you. So let's talk about COVID because we're still in it. And uh, unfortunately, it's spiking still throughout different parts of the country. I'm out in the New York area. You're out in LA. And uh, I think we've got a lot of news in both of our states and, and of course, in between. Um, How has it affected you in particular in terms of your work? Um, and, and do you imagine any long-term sort of like permanent or entrenched implications as things hopefully normalize soon. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting topic to explore and thank you for asking. I'd say, I don't know yet the long-term implications, but what I have a feeling is the long-term implications are gonna be more personal um, that when I say that, what I mean is my son, for example, I I look at it more for how is it impacting him as an eight-year-old boy who now has to go grab his mask every time he wants to go outside and is worried when the neighbor walks by. And and I I just think there's some trauma Mm. that has been created as a result. And so for me, my business has been actually one, I formed a business throughout all of this, not one, not just one, but I'd started insight media just prior to all this happening. I just launched Potify last week and now I'm about to launch a third business all within the midst of this going on. And I was just, I just made a post about this. It's, this has been the year of the connection for me, frankly, because I've used LinkedIn's incredible reach to meet new people. We wouldn't have met had it not been for us having a conversation on LinkedIn. And, and this is a story that I have with numerous people who I've grown and built a relationship with. I'm grateful. What I'm grateful for is that we live in a world where technology creates a closeness that may not be a physical proximity, but a virtual proximity that is, it's so unique and different. So for me, my wife runs a preschool. She had to close down the preschool for a few months. It's, it's back open. So by the way, if you hear some kids in the background, that's why, but so it was, it was hard. It was, it was painful for a little bit for me. 
it, it hasn't affected my business. If anything, it's, it's actually made it so that every interview I do is virtually versus having some in person, which has is, is as much as I love being face to face, it's not always the easiest thing to organize or coordinate. If I go somewhere else, there might be sound issues, any number of things. But now it's like every interview we do is like this. And, and I don't care who, what podcaster you are, with the exception of maybe a few, you're still doing interv interviews like this. So as I look into the future, I think the, the, as I pick up the pieces of kind of the, the gravel in the, you know, that's, that's sitting down, I think those pieces are very much from a personal perspective. How is this impacting my son on an emotional level? And those are the things that I'm thinking about. Interesting. So I want to pick up on, on both points, if I may, for a minute. First of all, on the trauma side, I do think it's really important as a leader to continue to think about how is COVID affecting our people, uh, both in the workplace and, and, and elsewhere, right? What kind of support do they need and, and how do we communicate that in a manner that is relevant to them? You know, I, I don't identify as the most touchy-feely kind of person. And so it's not natural for me to be emotive in that way or empathic in that way. And I kind of have to work at it. I actually, oftentimes I'll start an email to somebody with not blunt, but, but very kind of like to the point. And then I go back and I add a couple of greetings on the front end and, you know, <laughs> some kind of nicety just to soften it up and make it a little bit more approachable. So I think we have to continue to do that, especially because we don't necessarily see everybody anymore face to face like we once did where a, you know, tap on the shoulder or a quick hello or a flash of a smile. You could just do it in the moment. So it's not quite the same. And the other point, you know, I, I just started three different mastermind groups. I'm really focusing now on school leaders. That's my background. I'm a former educator and school leader, but I do service leaders from all industries and all sectors. Nonetheless, I really wanted to focus now on school leaders because they're, they have a particular challenge because it's not just the faculty and the staff that need to be taken care of, but it's so many kids and so many individuals all in one building right. and moving parts and government regulations and on and on and on. I just know how complicated it is and bringing people together around common issues and letting them discuss and brainstorm and problem solve and, and just create networking community. I think it's really such a gift. And mm -hmm. Zoom has made it as such, or any platform for this matter, maybe really based off of COVID. Whereas in the past, like you said, maybe people only would have done it had we been meeting in a physical location around a, around a common table and having the conversation face to face, but it's really normalized virtual engagement and virtual meeting to a point where it's almost the expectation now. That's right. That allows me to reach people. I've got people on my podcast from California and Arizona and in Illinois and Florida and New York, New Jersey and Cal and, and Canada and on and on all coming together because they can and all coming together because they share a common purpose. So I think it's really great. And at the same time, as I said, for leaders, I think we need to be sensitive, you know, to our people continually. And even after things quote normalize, it's going to take a while, I believe, until if we ever fully restore ourselves to what life was like before, I think it's going to take some time. It's not just going to be take a shot, you know, and life will be good <laughs> again. Yeah. I mean, there's the, there's the old new normal and people say the new normal and what the new normal looks like, we don't know yet fully, yeah. but I think your instincts are right when it comes to showing some empathy, even if it's not maybe our strength. And, and I applaud you for having the self-awareness to recognize that that may not be your natural bend, 
But in times like this, because you never know what's going on in someone's world, you can't, because you don't have the proximity, you're not seeing them as much, you're not seeing them on a daily basis for longer periods of time. You may have a one-off Zoom here or there or a phone call. So maybe they're personally affected by COVID. Maybe there's stress. Maybe there's financial stress. Maybe their spouse lost their job. I mean, there's so many different things. And so what I would suggest is for any leader is to lean into your people even more and in a, obviously in a very professional way, but understand what's going on in their world, understand what's how they're doing, like check in. I mean, that's the thing I've led teams remotely for over a decade. So every job that I've had, whether it be Tesla, solar city, or previous to that, I always worked managing teams from my home base. And yeah, I'd go into the office, which was always nice. I don't, I, you know, clearly I don't have that now. I'm not at Tesla, but if I were at Tesla, I probably wouldn't be going to the office as much because of all of this. And so just imagining how I would be handling it if I were in a corporate environment, um, you know, now I'm a CEO and I have, I have my partner handles most of the interactions with our employees. But if I were managing a team and a remote team, like most people are these days, I think check-ins at least weekly really help to, and it doesn't need to be like a check-in. Are you doing your work? It's like a check-in. How are you doing? Yeah. You know, and, and, and get understanding them on a personal level. And that takes time. You got to be, you got to know, you read the audience, right? People are going to be all various uh, and large spectrum of what they're willing to share. I, I do have a very touchy feely Ben. I'm probably too much on that end. I'm probably too much of the empathetic leader in a, in a weird way. In that I think there's a, there's a line that you got to be careful of going too far, not in an unprofessional way. I never did that. But what I mean is you want your team to perform. So if they feel like you're too much of a friend, then there are unintended consequences there. So I think finding that good balance point and understanding when you're, these are all, they're human beings, right? They have yeah. all the different things that us as human, the human condition resides in all of us, right? They want health. They want happiness. They want laughter. They want friends. They want family. And so just figuring out what's going on in their world and then support them in a way that will allow them to be the effective contributor that you want them to be. And, and that comes with understanding, like, what are the challenges they're facing? What are the things that have become different for them? I mean, you, you asked me, like, just the question you asked me, like, hey, what's become different because of COVID? Even that is a fabulous question to ask, especially, you know, I would say it should have already been asked probably, right? Because we've been in this for a while. But point being is unearth these things so that they're on the table. I'm, I'm a big believer in the, the value of communication and sharing in a very organic and natural way where it doesn't feel like you're prying. It doesn't feel like you're trying to investigate. It can't feel that. It's got to feel very, I would say, genuine and heartfelt. I mean, these are buzz, buzzwords, but yeah, it's got to come from the heart. And that's, I mean, that's what people want. They want somebody that is looking out for their best interest. And so if they really feel that, then, they're, then they'll believe it. But if, if it's coming from a, another place where you're a micromanager and they know that about you and you're trying to see, are you actually doing your job? then it can have a, a complete opposite effect. And so you got to understand what is the current perception people have of you? And knowing that, how do you either change that perception through your actions um, or through your decisions? Because ultimately that's what followership is based on. People follow people based on two things, based on the interactions you have 
and the decisions you make. And those two things are really the two primary motivators that will dictate whether or not somebody wants to follow you. And if, if they follow you and they believe in you as a leader, then it's likely because you've had really positive, healthy interactions and you've made solid decisions that they could count on. Yeah, that was really great. And I think that you hit on the point of influence, which John Maxwell talks about, many others talk about as well, that leadership really is at its core all about influence. And I think that that's, you know, important, maybe more so now than ever to reiterate in your mind time and again, how can I be influential, but not, not for my ego, how can I be right. influential in order to make sure that the right work is getting done and that my people you know, embrace and maintain the values and the mindsets that we value in our company so that we could be successful. So that actually ties me into the next question, which is beautiful, a great segue, because I wanted to talk to you since you're in media and you're in marketing and you really understand messaging and getting out there. I do believe that leaders need to be thinking about branding, you know, their company to the, to the outer market, if you will, but they also need to brand internally, right? In other words, people need to know that somebody is the leader, not just based on title, but based on what it is that they do. So what is your, what is your thoughts about, let's call it personal branding, both in terms of I, the leader of a company. So if I'm a Jamie DeMond, for example, and I'm getting out there as the CEO of Chase or any other, you know, some of the other CEOs you mentioned before, you know, so there's the representative of the company, but there's also me, the person that, hopefully connects with my own people internally. So look at Gary Vee, for example, when he talks about empathy and he talks about, you know, cutting edge and working hard, I imagine that that helps sell VaynerMedia, but I, I think it probably also has a positive trickle-down effect to the people within his own company. So what are your mm. thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I think in the end, it comes back to a very similar thing, which is emotion. And people, whether that be a post that you make as a brand or as an individual, or if it's something internal, as you're saying, and it's the meeting or all hands that you do, all of those things are opportunities for you to show your human side. And my belief is that if you're having a one-on-one -on -one interaction, or if you're having a one-to-many interaction, a certain percentage of that time should be spent being real, being that authentic self and being a human being. And that happens when you are actually a human being. That means that you don't need to spill your guts and be vulnerable and show them every nook and cranny of your, of your garage. But it does mean that you can be just a normal human and like say something that normal humans say, and you don't need to put on a false persona. And I think all too often, what I see leaders do is they try, they're trying too hard to be something to other people in a way that is forced. And my belief is that when you show that you are a human being, that resonates, that connects. <clears throat> this is why posts that are vulnerable posts, where they're about you as a human, they do so well on LinkedIn or on any social platform for that matter. And this is the same reason why if I were doing a one-on-one, -on -one, you know, and, and you, you, were, you were somebody that reported to me, for example, I would first check in and I'd say like, Hey, how are you doing? And, and, and start very like, like what's going on? Give me an update. Tell me, tell me how things go. How's the family? Like asking questions like that. But then also being willing to share if they ask me the same thing or even bringing up, like if they say something, Oh, I had something similar happen. You know, we, we went and, you know, we celebrated Hanukkah last night and my son did, you know, like just whatever. And, and 
these little things, these moments of life that we can help to string together a, a fabric of humanity, I think is a very, very critical component to leadership. And so for me, the reason that I, I believe the reason that I had success in a corporate setting, and it's funny because I never even intended to get in a corporate setting at all, never even intended it. But the reason that I had success is that I connected with my teams. And, and you could ask anybody that was on my team, whether they reported to me directly or whether they were three or four levels, you know, in, in, in you know, through management, I, I still connected. <clears throat> I, if you were an intern on my team, I connected with you. It may not, be, <clears throat> excuse me, it may not be a weekly meeting. It may be a bi-weekly meeting. It may be a monthly meeting, but I connected with you. And, and, and I think this is something that sometimes doesn't happen because leaders get so busy with, the minutia of leadership. They think checking email is their job or they think that micromanaging is their job. But no, to me, it's like, if you're connected with your people in a very rich way, then they're gonna, they're gonna like hang the moon for you. They're gonna, they're gonna run through walls for you. And, but it, it doesn't happen overnight either. And, and, and so this is an investment. Like anything, you gotta, it's, it's, it's like deposits that you're making over and over and over again. And the more deposits you make, the, the, the more you have in your account. And so yeah. their guard may be up in the beginning. And, and, and frankly, especially if you have a reputation for not being this way, like you're, you're, you're already coming at this with maybe a little bit of a deficit, right? You might be, you're, you might not have anything in your account. It might be negative balance. And so you got to make just deposits on a regular basis. Don't try and put all the deposit in all at once. Cause then that's going to feel fake. So keep making those deposits over time through those interactions. I love the deposits piece um, as a former educator. You know, I remember seeing uh, some videos about kids and kids are willing to take risks in school, both in class and outside of class. Largely, it's almost like you're playing poker, right? And if you don't have a lot of deposits, it's like you don't have a lot of chips. Mm -hmm. When you don't have a lot of chips, you tend to be very conservative. But if you have lots of chips because you're the you know, high school team, uh, football team quarterback, or you're the queen of the prom or, you know, some more popular person in school, then you, of course, are much more willing to, to take chances because if you mess up, it's not going to kill you. And I think that that's really true at work as well. People need to make those deposits so that they can take chances so that they can take risks uh, as leaders and just as members of teams, because it's not a unilateral process. It's not just going to be continually progressing on, on one level. There are going to be ups, there are going to be downs. There are going to be steps forward and steps back in our relationships. And if we have a basis from which to draw, then when we mess up, which is inevitable, you know, it's just going to be a little bit, a little bit easier. So since this will be my final question for this segment, but since you talked about the human side and connection and all of that, and since this is a leadership podcast and leadership, again, is not all about one stringing one success after another, there are failures, many of them along the way, sometimes more than we'd like to share. Tell us, please, Billy, one failure that you encountered that really helped to set you up for future success. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's life is full. It's littered with failures. I, I want to say one thing and I'll get to that. I, I, as you were talking, what I thought of is this abundance versus scarcity mindset. And if you invest in your people, you have an abundance mindset. But if you don't invest in your people in, in a large way, you likely have a scarcity mindset because you don't have the goodwill of your team and you don't have, they're not in your corner. You're, you're constantly playing defense and you're, you're at a deficit because you're, 
you haven't invested in them. They're not supportive of you. And so anytime you have an ask, anytime you want them to do something, anytime you want to take a risk, as you mentioned, then you likely won't have the, the capital to do so and, and the human capital and also the, the goodwill capital. So to answer your question, so look, I'd say one of the, the biggest mistakes that I made is early on, I always wanted to be very much involved in every single thing that I wanted to do. And so for me, what I realized is that if I tried to do everything, I was spreading myself too thin. And more importantly, I wasn't empowering my team to do what they are capable of doing. And so I learned that early on in my career, but that failure is something that, you know, just because I learned it doesn't mean that I don't see it again. I'm a very all in go big type of person. And so whether it be the training events I did or the events that I've done or the movie that I've made or any of those things, the, the common thread is that they're lavish, they're big, they're giant productions. And so I have this idea in my head of what it should be. And so on one hand, I attribute a lot of my success to those things. On the other hand, it can be counterproductive if I am unnecessarily spending my time, my money, my, and even if it's not my own money, it's a, it's a company's money, resources, and if there's not a return on investment. So what I'll say is when I was doing training early on, what I think I was doing was investing in some of the wrong things and spending both money and time on things that weren't actually paying off. And so to me, that failure taught me that I should really think about things with intention. And so when I think about things with intention, so what is the result that I want because I'm going to take these actions? And so for the training space, it's like, okay, do we really need to have these banners that went up around the room that cost us X amount of dollars, are we getting the reward for having those banners? Now, maybe we did, maybe we didn't, but I don't know for a fact that we did. And so the more intention that we have, I think the better we can give ourselves a guidepost in terms of what it is that we expect the result to be. And when we know that, then we could say, how do we back end ourselves into that by designing and architecting a blueprint that says here are the markers and here are the milestones that we need to meet along the way. The hard part about training is it's in some cases it's difficult to measure the effectiveness of the training and attribute success solely to that training because there are so many other variables and inputs at play. And so we got to be mindful. Imagine, yeah. Right. So it's like, yeah, okay, they went to training, but did their manager also help them? What knowledge do they have before training? What knowledge do they get from doing things in the field? What, what, what is their baseline? Just them as a human being and their, their talent level and capabilities. And so it's not one input. And so to, this is one of the biggest challenges that, that I had just generally in the training space is we, to measure success is not always a cut and dry like sales. Okay, you know with sales, every many sales you get, that's, that's how many sales you get, right? Or marketing, it's like, how many leads do you get into the funnel? Those sorts of things. And so with training, it's a little bit gray in terms of measurement. So I needed to be even more certain that whatever I was investing, whether it be time or resources or anything, 
that it's going to pay off. And so I think sometimes I was blinded by the extravagance of putting on this production. Now, I will say that people walked away from every training that, that I was a part of saying, wow, that was the best training I've ever had. And, and this did not happen once or twice, or this happened honestly, and I'm not trying to brag, but like the majority of the time. So that's great. That feels good, but did it do its job? And so that I think would be a, 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 a you know, hard question I have to ask myself. And I think in some cases it did, some, some cases it didn't. And I think as, a, as I dissect and reflect and look back, having the, I guess the wisdom that comes with age, I would be more hesitant in trying to do something to impress people just for the shock value and more guided to what is my intention? What do I want to get out of doing this? Wow. Beautiful. So I'm hearing intentionality. I'm hearing the ability to look back and reflect and ask the hard questions, which may get lost under the wow moment, like you talked about. So sometimes people are super impressed with an outcome. And so you're not necessarily willing or prepared to sort of unpack it and look beneath the surface and see was all of that necessary or was all of that really properly utilized, et cetera. And I think that as leaders, we have to be mindful of that as well. You know, we might have outcomes, successful quarters, successful years, and kind of like looking at it in the totality of it and say, wow, this has just been gangbusters. But nonetheless, if you peel back the layers of the onion, you start to see this element wasn't quite right and I could have done better over here. And the more we are able, I know it's easier said than done. I'm, I'm talking for myself now to put mm -hmm. ego aside and mm -hmm. look at things as objectively as possible and get people who are willing to give you an objective opinion without having to feel the implications of your uh, angst or maybe even wrath mm -hmm. uh, for hearing things that are unpleasant. If you have that person, people to bounce ideas off of and get feedback from, it really can keep you balanced as a leader, I think, and allow you you know, to do your very best work and constantly learn and constantly adjust as you move. And so talking about adjustment and our pivot as we, as we work towards wrapping up this incredible conversation, uh, we're now going to shift into the rapid fire segment. The rapid fire is just four, four quick shots where you get a, a, a sentence response, something along those lines. Okay. And, um, and then we'll move from there. So a cool holiday gift for a fellow podcaster that's under a hundred dollars. Got it. Cool holiday to gift for a podcaster that's under a hundred dollars would be a subscription to Squadcast or an equivalent service that allows them to record remotely separate channels and get better sound quality. Now I might not be able to pay for the full year, but at least I could get them started and I could pay for a few months. And so give them the opportunity to try it because I think it will provide better sound quality for their, for their podcast. Nice. If you could plaster, I know there are a lot of billboards and a lot of highways where you are. If you could plaster a message on a massive billboard, what would it say? Hmm. Love that. Okay. A message on a. Not sales related. Yeah, no, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I would just say it all starts with self-awareness and, and I just put, leave it there. And so just, I think that's the number one thing people should be focused on is, is being aware of their own self. 
The next one, the worst mispronunciation of your name. Not the one I butchered earlier today. No, you did great, man. <laughs> oh, man. Salisbury. is it was like, I get that a lot. Salisbury. I mean, they just Salisbury. look at there's an S. So, yeah, Salisbury is a pretty, actually more common than you would think. Salisbury? I don't even know why they get that, but that's what they say. That's interesting. So, I know you're out in California. Just yesterday, I saw an article about companies leaving California for Texas, Silicon Valley in particular. If for whatever the reason you ever have to leave California, <laughs> What would be your ideal landing place? That is a real, leave California, right? So nowhere else in California. I love this question. It's, it's a thought provoking one. Mm. I would have to go. I'm a, I, I lived in New York. I would probably go to New York. I love, I love New York. Just wait till uh, the snow passes. I know. I mean, I, I know, I know New York's <laughs> having coming. a max exodus, exodus as well. But I've always, I mean, I lived in New York um, and I've lived in, I've lived in London, New York and Los Angeles. I'm a big city guy I, and I love America. So I'd stay here. I mean, I, Amsterdam flooded in my mind and a few other places, but like if I had to go one place, it'd probably be New York city. Awesome. Okay. So now tell everyone on lead to succeed, how they can reach you, how they connect, can connect with you and get more of your awesome content. Well, Naftali, thank you so much for this opportunity. And for anyone that wants to touch base, just find me on LinkedIn first and foremost. I absolutely relish meeting people. And so send me a direct message. And then, yeah, I mean, if you either have a podcast that you want to pro help, help producing or editing or promoting, then go to podify.co. That's P-O-D-I-F-Y dot C-O. And you could find our services there. You can even schedule time to meet with me and we can do a strategy session. And you can tell me all about what you're either working on currently or what you plan on working on with regards to your podcast. But I'm, but I'm all over the place. And, and I think if you start there, those are two good places to start. Awesome. And I'm sure you're going to get a lot. I mean, I, I've been following Billy for a while on LinkedIn and his content is golden, which I don't invite everybody onto the podcast. So clearly there was something there. And I think that that's been evidence in our conversation. And uh, if you do need any help with podcasts, that certainly sounds like an awesome place. So one last uh, leadership lesson, please, for us, Billy, to kind of wrap up everything we've discussed and end on I. Mm. Well, the leadership lesson that I'll leave you with is something that I learned from Elon Musk, which is this concept of thinking about things with first principles. It's first principles thinking. And what that basically means is that often in life, we reason by analogy. For example, this car exists, therefore we should make an incremental improvement on this car that exists. That is flawed thinking. And what Elon suggests is think about things from a foundational level. Like what are the laws of physics that we know to be true? Those are foundational. So from a first principles mindset thinking, we should strip down any preconceived notions of what something should be, whether it be a product, a service, anything. I mean, don't just look at what exists. You can do that. You could get some ideas and things of that nature, but don't just look at those things and think, I just need to make a version of this, but make it slightly better. Instead, what if we were to build it from the ground up, knowing what we know about, again, like things that we can't control, which is like laws of physics and things of that nature. And so the, the, the leadership lesson I'll give you is that whatever you're working on, whether it be designing a, uh, a, new, a new thing for your company, or if you're an, it's a, an experience for your team, or if it's an, an event, or if it's a service that you're offering, anything, I always think that you should not just limit yourself 
by what already exists because innovation happens when you give yourself the freedom to allow your mind to wander and not let it be wedded or married to one singular idea of what something should be just because that's what it's been in the past. So I, that would be my one last bit of advice. Yeah, I think Henry Ford once said that uh, if I would have asked my uh, the people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. <laughs> so <laughs> since we're talking about Elon and the car industry, we may as well we may as well make that reference. Anyway, Bill, it's really been a pleasure getting to know you and talking leadership with you and all other good stuff. So I want to wish you continued success with this new enterprise, which we're going to be excited to learn more about, as well as everything else you have going on. Stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, you should continue to provide that kind of stewardship, guidance, and support to all the people that you touch. Thanks again for coming on the show today and uh, much continued success moving forward. Thanks for having me. It's been my great pleasure. You got it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to pick up your copy of Becoming the New Boss on Amazon or at becomingthenewboss.com. If you've already got your copy, be sure to rate the book and leave a comment.